0: good evening tonight I'd like to pose the question do you hunger after righteousness we'll get our thoughts for the lesson from Matthew 5 verse 6 where Jesus says blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled to fully grasp the admonition of Jesus here we need to consider for a moment what it means to be hungry to consider what hunger does to us, the response it creates. Hunger creates a desire in uh, in us and it can alter our moods and our actions. I'm guessing we have all heard of the term hangry, a term given to a person who becomes irritable or angry when they're hungry. It causes me to think of the Snickers bar commercial and the line is, you're not you when you're hungry. And it shows a person acting extremely out of character, very odd, and it's not until they get a bite of a Snickers bar to satisfy their hunger, that they return to normal and start acting like themselves again. I'm sure any mother in the room could tell you how their young child acts when they're hungry. If it goes on for too long, they will get unhappy or grouchy. <clears throat> they have a need that they want met, and when we hunger, we desire to be filled. Consider a man who hasn't eaten in several days, a man ex- experiencing true hunger and what kind of desire that would create in him, and what lengths he would be willing to go to just to get a bite to eat. We think of newborn babies and their desire for milk. As we know, a mother doesn't have to sit down with their child and teach them to cry when they're hungry. Tell them, you need to scream, get red-faced, do whatever you can to get my attention so I know you're hungry. But we know that's instinctual, and naturally, They have an intense desire to be filled, knowing that there's only one way they will be satisfied, only one thing that will calm their desire. Hunger drives us, it leads us, and we understand the the desire and what hunger does to us. So I ask again, do you hunger after righteousness? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. As we look at the context here in Matthew five, when we look back to Matthew four, we see Jesus in the wilderness, as he had spent 40 days being tempted by the devil. Also during this time, he was fasting. So if anyone understood hunger, it was Jesus. We read of this in Matthew four, verses one through four. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterwards, he was hungry. Now, then, now when the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. And he answered and said to them, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So naturally, after 40 days, Jesus was hungry, as Matthew obviously states here. But di- during this time, we also know that Jesus prayed. So he didn't give in to the devil's temptation when he said, Turn these stones into bread and be filled. You see, Jesus had already been filled. He was filled as he prayed to God. So when he gives this admonition in Matthew 5, he fully understood what it meant to be hungry and what it meant to truly be filled. So what is righteousness? What are you and I to hunger after today? Is it perfection? Is Jesus calling us to be perfect, to be sinless? We know from our knowledge of scriptures that's not the case. As we consider men like Abraham, David, or Peter, and Paul, we see their sin, their mistakes, their sin is well documented in scriptures. But we also see in scriptures that they, they were in continual pursuit of God and His will in their life. As Romans 3.10 tells us, there's no one righteous, no, not one. In Isaiah 64, verse six, and all of our righteousness are like filthy rags. Nothing about us is righteous. Our best is like filthy rags. It's not through our, right, through our works or our deeds that we are made righteous. No amount of good works or deeds can establish our own righteousness, but only by submitting to the righteousness of God. We can read of God's righteousness in Deuteronomy. He is the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice, righteousness and upright is he. And also in Psalms, The Lord is righteous in all his ways, gracious in all his works. His work is honorable and glorious, and his righteousness endures forever. Throughout scriptures, we are commanded to give praise and honor to worship for God, recognizing him as the righteous one. Righteousness is God's nature. It's not something he does, but it's what he is. God is righteousness, and it's impossible to separate the two, and there's no righteousness apart from God. And I believe that is what Jesus is calling us to, that we seek God, that we abide in him, that we grow in him, that we always seek to be in right standing with him. Seeking God's righteousness, understanding that he is the only source, that we are incapable of achieving God's standard of righteousness, but he has provided a way through his son. We have hope because Jesus came and lived righteously. 1 Corinthians 1, But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification and redemption. That, as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. So Jesus has become for us righteousness. That which we are incapable of achieving, Christ has become for us. And in order above all else that God is glorified, not ourselves. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 for he made him who knew no righteousness, who, so, sorry, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Because of Christ's love for us, he became sin. He took on our sins at the cross. By his sacrifice, we can obtain Jesus' righteousness or become cleansed when we come in contact with his blood in baptism. It's all about reconciliation to God, reconciliation to God through Christ Jesus not to say that once we obey the gospel once we obey God's plan of salvation that we quit desiring him that we quit having a hunger for righteousness but again that we have a continual pursuit for God a desire and that we crave to be in right standing him that we crave and desire the right things in this life to put away the desires that lead us away from God proverbs 11 verse 6 the righteousness The righteousness of the upright will deliver them, but the unfaithful will be caught in their lust by their lust. The faithful will be caught by their lust. Lust is a very strong desire, and when we lust after sin, after ungodly things, it will ensnare us, and only lead to destruction in this life and in the next, and in eternity. Just as as if we were continually eating unhealthy food, eating candy, eating junk, eating McDonald's three times a day, Eventually, that is going to negatively affect our physical health. The unhealthy cravings and desires in our spiritual life will only set a trap for us in this life. The unfaithful will be caught by their lust. Matthew 5, verse 28, But I say to you that whosoever looks on a woman to lust for her hath already committed adultery with her in his heart. So we see the problem starts in our heart. Our actions and the decisions we make each day are a result of the desires we have in our heart. Unhealthy, ungodly desires lead us to sin, lead us to act in a way contrary to God's will. So we must turn our hearts towards God, that we crave and desire spiritual things. One way we can we can find one way we accomplish this in 1 Peter 4 verses 1 through 4. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with, that, with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For he hath sent for we have spent enough of our past lifetimes doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties and abominable idolatries in regards to these they find it strange that we do not run but the same flood of dissipation speaking evil of you." The Christians that Peter was addressing here had been experiencing a lot of persecution. So Peter is telling them look to Christ as your example. Because Christ also suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the mind of Christ. Arm yourself with that mind when it comes to combating the flesh. That we turn our mind to the spiritual, turn our mind to what's eternal, eternal, changing what we seek and what we desire. Jesus didn't spend his time on earth doing his own will, living, serving himself, but he lived to do God's will, carry out God's purpose for him. Like the gentiles we have spent enough of our past life serving self, living after the desires of our flesh. Now it's time to crave and desire God. Not living for the flesh, for the lust of men, but for the will of God. <clears throat> Ephesians 4 verse 22 through 24. Though you put off concerning, concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corruptible, corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man, which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. When we change our nature, when we change our hearts, put off the old man, our desires are conformed to God's desires. The things we long for are the things we find in his word. The way we live our life looks increasingly less like what the flesh wants and more like Christ more like the life he has called us to live. When we turn our hearts to God, desire to abide in him, our actions will follow accordingly. You see, living in a manner pleasing to God is a side effect of hungering after him. Actions are a result of our desires. Just like if we are hungry for food, that desire is gonna lead us to to the action of going and making ourselves something to eat, or going and getting something to eat. Math, or Jesus in Matthew 5 wasn't necessarily teaching good works. He wasn't teaching good works, living the life of a servant, or obedience to God's commandments. But we know those things are a natural response when we are hungering after God and His righteousness. There we have an intense desire for God, and we let that drive us, lead us to actions that are pleasing to God and a life that serves Him. Psalms 42. As the deer pants for the water brook, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? What what image comes to mind when we read this scripture or sing the song as the deer in our book? Do you picture a calm, peaceful scene as a cute little deer casually walks through the woods and just happens upon a full stream or full body of water where it can get a drink? When we consider the psalmist, I think a different scene should come to mind. If we continue reading in chapter 42, we see that the psalmist longed to be with God. He asked, when can I worship you again? He says, my tears have been my food day in and day out. I thirst for you, O God. The Greek word for pant in verse one is found in Joel one, verse 20, and here it is translated cry out. The beast of the fields also cry out for you, for the water brooks are dried up, and the fire has devoured the open pastures. When we consider the psalmist as he compares himself to the deer and the meaning of the word pan, I believe a different scene, a different image should come to mind. One where a devastating wildfire has come through and destroyed the land. All the water is gone, the life-giving source is dried up, and you have a deer looking desperately for a drink of water just so it can stay alive. The psalmist says, Lord, just like that deer, I thirst for you. There's nothing else that matters. With that image in our mind, I believe it takes on a different meaning when we read these verses and sing the song. That you and I long for God in that way. Desperate for life, desperate for God, knowing that he is the only place it is found. As we sing, you alone are my heart's desire. I'm sure we can all think of things we can hunger for in this life. You may hunger for an education or a college degree. At some point, you may hunger for a new car, for a new house, for a pay raise, for a promotion. You can even hunger for a vacation or entertainment. You may study and work hard for these things. Stay up late, devote a lot of time and effort towards obtaining them. Stress, lose sleep. But when you finally achieve it, when you finally get what you desire, are you satisfied? Are you filled? I want to consider King Solomon for a moment, a man who searched for purpose in various things. Early on in Solomon's reign, God came to him in a dream, and God tells Solomon to ask him for whatever he wants. We see that Solomon doesn't ask for riches, for a long life, for the world's pleasures, but he asks for wisdom and discernment. And we see that God is so pleased with that request that he blesses Solomon with wisdom as well as all the things he didn't ask for. He blesses him with honor and with riches. But we see that King Solomon had a lot of questions about life, about the purpose of this life. He says in Ecclesiastes 1 What profit has a man from all his labors in which he toils under the sun? He asked all the work, all the labor a man can do in this physical life what is it worth? What profit is it? And also in verse 13, and I set my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all that was done under the heavens, this burdensome task God has given to the sons of men by which we may be exercised. So we see that Solomon gave his heart to this search, to seek out the things under the sun, to know everything about this existence, to experience it and live for what this world has to offer we can see three things that King Solomon tried to live for. Things he tried to acquire, he did acquire, and tried to make his purpose. These three things being knowledge, wealth, and pleasure. And as we read through Ecclesiastes, we can see just what extent he went to to obtain these things. How he built great houses. He planted great vineyards and gardens. He acquired great herds and flocks. He acquired whatever his heart desired, Ecclesiastes 2, verse 10, he writes, Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. And we see that he had great treasures, great gold and silver. He had hundreds of wives and servants. But was he satisfied? Did he find true fulfillment? No. As we read in Ecclesiastes 2, Then I looked at all the works my hands had done, and all the labor in which I had toiled. And indeed, it was all vanity and grasping at the wind. There was no profit under the sun. Knowledge, wealth, and wholesome fun in and of itself is not sinful. We need these things to function in life, to reach the souls of others, to provide for our families, to minister to those less fortunate. But these things shouldn't consume us. They shouldn't dictate how we live our lives. Solomon concluded that these things are important, but we shouldn't live for them. They won't satisfy. Consider your own life. Examine your life. If we're honest, it doesn't take long to see where our desires lie, to see where we are searching for fulfillment, when we consider where we spend our time and where we devote our effort. Where or in who are you searching for fulfillment? In John 4, we find Jesus' interaction with the woman at the well. Jesus answered and said to her, Whosoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whosoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. If we read through this full account of Jesus and the Samaritan woman, we see a lot of back and forth. As Jesus tries to get her to grasp what he was teaching, at first, she, she did not realize that Jesus was talking about her spiritual needs. She wanted what Jesus had to offer so she could avoid the tiresome frequent trips to the water for well. But Jesus explains to her that he is the Messiah and in him is true fulfillment. Anything physical we can pursue in this life will one day perish. But Jesus and what he offers is eternal. Only in Jesus and the Father can we find satisfaction. Only in him can we find true fulfillment. You know, growing up, I was often hungry, if you can believe that or not, especially through junior high and high school. But luckily for me, my Mimi, or my grandmother, only lived three blocks from the high school. So I knew I could walk in her doors after school, and like any good grandmother, she was there ready to feed me. She'd say, Sadler, are you hungry? I've got this to eat, or I've got this and this to eat. And it was even better in high school when I could drive and leave campus for lunch. Instead of eating the less desirable cafeteria food, I could drive drive to her house and get something good to eat. The point being that I was hungry, so I knew where to go to and who to go to to be filled. Just as if we're hungry today, we're not going to sit down in front of the TV, turn on the TV, and expect to be filled. We must recognize God and his Son as the only source of true fulfillment. That we know where to go and that we run to them as the, that only source. Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 19. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and in earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit of the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of God which passes knowledge, that ye may be filled with all the fullness of God. We find Paul praying for the Ephesians, a prayer we should pray for ourselves as well as others. He asked that God would give them spiritual strength, that he would dwell in their hearts through faith, that they would know the love of God that passes knowledge, and that they would be filled by the fullness of Christ. All we need is the love of Christ. By knowing and understanding the love of Christ, we don't need the riches of this world. We don't need the knowledge or the pleasures of this world. What we need is to live in the love of Christ, allowing allowing that to mold us. I'd like to look at a couple of examples of people who hungered after righteousness. The first one that came to mind was Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. It says he was devout. He feared God. He reverenced God. But Cornelius wasn't a Christian yet here. At this point, he was a Gentile who had turned away from pagan worship. But he sought God. It says he knew God, and he prayed to him always. He had a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. And if we continue reading, we see that through a vision he was sent to Peter, and Peter preached him the gospel, and Cornelius and his household were baptized. As we have talked about, to start hungering after the right things we must change our hearts change our nature so that we no longer desire things of the flesh but to desire god in his ways just as cornelius sought god if you're struggling with where your desires lie struggling with what you're seeking i encourage you to pray to god pray for strength and for knowledge in those cases in Acts 17 we find the example of the brilliant but the Bereans and their desire for God's word. Acts 17:10 through 12, that the breth- then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether the things were so. Therefore many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent w- m- women as well as men. The scripture says they were more fair-minded. They were open when it came to the God's word. They received the word with readiness and searched the scriptures daily to confirm that the things that they were taught were true. As a result, many of them believed. We know that a study of God's word will lead us to grow spiritually, will lead us to crave and desire the things of God, to seek Christ, to seek the words of our creator. <clears throat> we develop an appetite for what we feed ourselves. Do, you feed, do we feed ourselves sins, things of this world, or are we being fed by the words of God? Do you hunger after his word? Do you, do you have a strong appetite for the scripture? Or do you go days or even weeks without talking to God, without going to him in prayer, without opening his word, You know, part of being physically healthy is having a good appetite. A common side effect of many illnesses is loss of appetite. When we're sick, we don't feel like eating. To be spiritually healthy, we must consume God's word. To recognize that in it are the words of life. Again, we develop an appetite for what we feed ourselves. The more we study the Bible, the more we will come back to it. As we receive that sense of fulfillment and satisfaction, we will continue to come back, developing an appetite and a hunger for his word. And of course, we know that will positively affect our lives. In closing, I'd like to notice that this idea of hungering after righteousness was in the plan from the beginning. In Isaiah 28, whom will he teach knowledge and whom will he make to understand the message those just weaned from the milk, those just drawn from the breast. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. You know, it would be easy if the Bible was written as a clear, simple instruction book. Have you ever thought about that? Like if you needed money, you could turn to page 72, follow these two steps, and you received money. When raising kids, follow these five rules, And you'll have problem-free children. If you're struggling with lying, turn to page 62, follow these two steps, and you'll never lie again. It'll never be a temptation. Wouldn't that be simple? Wouldn't that make our lives easier? Or what if to get to heaven we just had to pass a test? In the Bible we found the five steps for an easy life. And Jesus said, study these, know these, and if you can recite them, you pass. Welcome to heaven. Then we could go on about our lives. Why wasn't it set up this way? If we instantly had the answers to everything, we wouldn't have any need for God. We would use him, be done, and move on with our lives. We wouldn't hit our knees saying, help me, Father. We wouldn't study his word for the answers of life. Study his word to know him better, to understand his ways better. To seek him out, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little and there a little. No one would ever hunger and thirst after righteousness. We would never realize our need for a savior or how true glory belongs to God. When we understand our depravity, our need for a savior and God's grace and mercy, when we recognize our desperate need for all these things, nothing else will fill that void. Nothing else will fill that void so much that we go after it, that we desire it, that we want it. That's when we will be blessed. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Jesus is calling the hungering ones to have a constant and reoccurring satisfaction with God's righteousness. It's not something we do once and then we're done, but it's a lifelong hungering. And the nourishment received from being filled is expanded and hungering again for another feeling. At this time, we'd like to offer the Lord's invitation. As mentioned tonight, maybe you are struggling with what you desire, with what you're seeking for purpose in this life. The congregation here would love to help you in that and love to pray for you. Or maybe you are hungry tonight, and you're hungering for God, but you're not a child of His, and you desire to obey Him in baptism. Please come as we stand and sing.